You are now listening to Soul Power to the People podcast with Tess Fregera. It's a podcast designed to bring awareness on intended or unintended crimes against humanity, how we can rise above it, claim our divine inheritance, and return the soul power to the people. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Milagros. Welcome, everyone, to Soul Power to the People podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> I'm so excited. I, I'm so excited. Before I introduce my guests, I just want to thank everyone who's joining. And I invited Milagros Phillips to talk to us about race. And Milagros Phillips is a keynote speaker. She's a TEDx presenter, four times author, and a certified coach. She designs strategic learning programs for organizations seeking to enhance their diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives through race literacy. And I, for one, I am so excited to hear her take on this. I am ready to be educated, Milagros, because this is something that we really need to look into and really, hey, can we go back? I'm a host. I'm a host, a DJ karaoke host. And one of the things that just brings joy to my heart is watching people sing their heart out, regardless of the color of their skin. It's like everyone is like, you know, uh, yeah, celebrating <laughs> each other's talents and just grooving and shaking and, you know, and dancing with each other. And then COVID hit and it was like, wow, you know, and now people are getting back together again. I really believe in us getting back together and healing healing from a human, from a hu our humanity, you know, not going to let anyone take away our humanity. And you're here, Milagros. Thank you so much. And your name, Milagros, means miracle. So what miracle are we going to create today? Well, let's see what happens. Not just miracle, but Milagros Altagracia, which is Ooh. the miracle of the highest grace. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. My mother was oh good with God. names. Well, yeah. let's call that in. Milagros Alta Gracias. Yes. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. So, yeah. Talk to us about why you agreed to come on the show. Why did you agree to come to Soul Power to the People podcast? Yeah. So one of the things that was intriguing for me about your podcast is the, the fact that you're not just looking at um, at this from the so-called what we call the 3D level, right? Like the three-dimensional level. You're looking at at what is the soul's role in mm -hmm. in this? What is the soul's role in healing us at this point in time? This is such a strategic time in human history. This is one of those times where, you know, hundreds of years from now people will be looking at what happened during this time frame as a, mm -hmm. as a, as a, a kind of a reference point um, in, in looking at what's happening in their lives then. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? You yeah, know, because yeah. life is a continuum. It isn't like we just plopped here one day and then, you know, well, then we're gone and then that's it, right? Like life is a continuum. And so what will people in a hundred years say about us? Like when we look back, you know, three, four, five hundred years, we go, wow, that, you know, that was that was 
a very violent time in a lot of places. It was, you know, um, there was a lot of disease and all kinds of things. And we look back on that, we read about it in the history books and we go, wow, that was a really difficult time for people. What will people say about us? But most importantly, what will people say about the choices we made that created a better world? And what are we gonna to do today to create a better tomorrow? And so my work is about that. It's about looking at race through the eyes of a continuum, mm -hmm. that this isn't just today or the times of slavery, or, but, but that there's been this, this human continuum that mm -hmm. we are all a part of. And what are we gonna to do today to change our collective tomorrow? So, yeah, so let, let's see what happens as we. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to ask you um, your thoughts on CRT, critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Is that helpful? Is that uh, dividing the country, the world even more? Uh, what are your thoughts on critical race theory? So critical race theory was created by um, a law professor in the 1970s. Critical race theory is not a thing, rather it's a way of looking at. So it's a way of looking at the laws. And, um, you know, when they created critical race theory, what they were thinking about was, what is it we need to understand about the law and the way that it affects black and brown people and indigenous people that law students need to understand as they go out into the world and become politicians or work in, you know, they become lawmakers um, or lawyers and so on and so forth. So that's what that was created for. Critical race theory, we have like 237 law schools in this country and we teach critical race theory in about 200 of them. It is not a mandatory course, it, it is, it is a course that is offered to law students. It is not something that's taught in the elementary schools. In fact, my TED talk, when I did my TED talk was 2018. You mean until recently, right? No, it has never been taught and continues not to be taught. Uh, mm. <laughs> yeah, no, mm. we don't teach critical race theory in K through 12. We don't even teach it in regular college. We teach critical, critical race theory is a way of looking at laws for law students. Right. Okay. Um, what has happened is that some folks have decided that, wow, that's a catchy, like a catchy tune kind of, you're, you're, you work with music, it's a catchy tune. And so we're gonna use those words and tell the world that this is what our children are learning in school. They're, they're not. Listen, I, in 2018, I did a, a, a TED Talk, and I, I begin my TED Talk by saying, who would we be as Americans if along with reading, writing, and arithmetic, we were also taught to be race literate? Because we're not being taught to be race literate. Mm -hmm. Okay, And critical race theory is not necessarily about race literacy. It is a way of looking at the laws that it's like taking policies apart and looking at what are the, the things that are racist within this policy? And it was created and continues to be taught to law school students. And mm -hmm. if you wanna learn more about that, um, the readout, I think it's an 
NBC program. I'm, I'm so sorry. I just, you know, I don't watch TV that much, but um, there's, actually, there's actually a, uh, a wonderful interview that um, the readout does with the woman who actually wrote the original book on critical race theory in 1970. She's still alive. She's a professor at Columbia University, and she also teaches in California. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important for people to understand what critical race theory is, that it is not a thing per se, but it's a way of looking at the laws. And it was created for law students. But here's what happens. Somebody says something, it's a catchy tune, they attach some negativity to it, and then everybody regurgitates the same thing. But if you were mm -hmm. to ask anybody what is critical race theory, they can't tell you. 90% of them can't tell, even the politicians, they can't tell you what it is. That's why I'm asking you. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I'm telling you, because I do know what is critical race theory is. It is not something that's being taught in elementary because it's complex. It's okay. complex and it's a way of looking at, at laws. But there is something being taught in school right now that apparently parents are, uh, are calling out and uh, going against. And whatever it is called, whether or not it's critical race theory, it is happening. I'm they're, going to. Yeah, they're giving it the name critical race theory, but what they're actually talking about is some of the, the teachers around the country who mm -hmm. have become aware of the fact that, that race is a problem <laughs> that mm -hmm. they may not have been aware of before because they really believe that there was equality, right? Especially mm -hmm. if racism is not something they're facing on a regular basis. So people have woken up. And so a lot of educators are looking to understand race and racism in their classrooms, in their school, and in the ways that it impacts the community. And so some of them have been to programs like anti-racism programs. They've been to programs like uh, diversity and inclusion programs. A lot of schools are, um, are suggesting that teachers uh, take some um, diversity and inclusion, um, diversity and inclusion um, uh, programs. And and so they bring some of that learning into the classroom. That is not critical race theory. Mm -hmm. That is not critical race theory. So what but is that's it? what they're calling it. What all it is is teachers, um, you know, teaching students about slavery, teaching students about the civil rights movement, teaching students about, you know, just basic things like, for instance, you know. Um, who goes into the store and gets followed when they go into the store. You know, just basic diversity stuff is what they're teaching in the classrooms, okay? They're not going, because critical race theory is complex. It is right. complex. It is not something that you just turn over to even a high school student without explaining it to them, without giving them some law to look at. Now, what I will say about, about institutional, because that's what we're talking about. When you institutionalize something, you turn it into law, okay? And then you set up systems to support those laws, right? So we have the judicial system, and then we have a policing system. So the judicial system makes the laws, right? And mm -hmm. the, or rather, I'm sorry, we have the, the government system that makes the laws. The judicial system is the system that actually makes sure that people follow the law. Okay, so when we're talking about critical race theory, what we're actually talking about is how do you take those laws and unpack them to understand the various ways in which it affects people of color. Mm -hmm. So for instance, and, and 
I don't know that they've done this, they probably have, okay? But I'm just gonna give you an example off the top of my head. So when you look at the 13th Amendment, the thir 13th Amendment basically set people free, enslaved people free. All Americans are now free, okay? According to that amendment. But that amendment has a little line in there that says, unless they are imprisoned for a crime, they are charged and imprisoned for the crime. Uh, yes, okay? yes, 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 so, yes. Do you understand? And so mm -hmm, a law mm -hmm. student can now take that and look at, wow, how is that impacting the over uh, population of people of color in prisons? Right. Okay. How does that connect to, to slavery then? and imprisonment now. That's what critical race theory is. It is a way of breaking down these laws that, that just, just unpacking them to look at them and go, oh, this is a way that this may, may be affecting people. So mm. I'll, I'll give you another example. There's a woman named Michelle Alexander and she wrote a wonderful book called, um, oh, let's see. The, trying to make sure that I remember Michelle Alexander's book is The New Jim Crow is the name of her mm, book, mm, The New mm. Jim Crow, which is a book that um, you know some of the, the law schools are now taking that book and making it mandatory for students, law students to read that book. But Michelle Alexander was, uh, she was walking down the street one day and this, uh, somebody on a corner was talking about how Oh, they're, 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 they're trying to put us all in jail. She's a lawyer, by the way, okay? She's a criminal lawyer. And, and she's walking down the street and, and this African-American man is saying, they're trying to put us all in jail. It's kind of like, you know, sounded like a conspiracy theory to her, what she was saying. And, and she was just like, no, you just did something wrong. Like, that's why you're, you're, you're you know, you had to spend time in jail kind of thing. And then she stepped back and she started looking and she started researching and she made these amazing connections with, you know, how children from the time they're very small are tracked. So they end up in jail. Oh, wow. So this is how critical race theory helps people who are studying the law because they're mm -hmm. able to unpack it and be able to say, oh, this particular little line right here, this codicil or this amendment or this, this appendix or whatever is the piece, like everything else looks just fine. But then we have this one little piece in here that makes a difference. That's what critical race theory is. It is how you study the law to see and the policies and things like that to see the various ways in which it hurts people of color. Mm -hmm. Now, the way that it's being used today is, is like now it's become the catch-all phrase for everything, right? And so critical race theory is, is because it's, it's catchy tune, right? And so people are using it to say, well, this, you know, we're teaching our children that, you know, the, the, particularly white children, that they're racist and stuff like that. That's not what that is. Critical race theory has nothing to do with that. Right, not right. A, <laughs> not a thing. So right. that, just to be clear, Critical race theory is not being taught in elementary school because it is a complex way of looking at institutionalized racism or how the institutional, how the laws have been institutionalized in a way that they do not serve people of color. That is what that is. That is what critical race theory is. What is being taught in the school is something completely different. Completely different. Yeah. And, and it's 
an observation that everything that has good intention has been hijacked lately <laughs> to support their narrative, to support their, you know, the the, the power grab out there. So yeah. I'm just going to refer uh, to one article that I pulled up before our interview here. It's a Star News article from May 12th of 2021. And I'm just going to leave it with the audience or feel free to comment also, Milagros. Sure. Uh, so this is in New Hanover County, I believe in North Carolina. Um, and from May 12th of 2021. Uh, that parents are pushing against school district for their new equity initiatives, calling it critical race theory. CRT establishes that white supremacy and systemic racism are a part of every life and states that while racism is something people of color experience daily, it is unlikely to be eradicated because it benefits the white elite. So um, uh, they're saying also, the parents uh, are quoted saying, we do not want CRT equity, 1619 projects, social justice, Marxism, selected emotional learning, or whatever your newest lab label is taught in our school. And uh, we don't want to indoctrinate folks in what I think is core of critical race theory, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, so that's, that is, and there's a lot of that kind of conversation uh, going on nowadays, um, especially since they've uh, brought school online. So parents are actually seeing the curriculum and, and we cannot deny this because parents are actually seeing what is being taught to their children. So do you have comments on that? Uh, and then I will also leave that to the audience to, to kind of look at how, how do we heal now, you know, from, from that the perspective when our own uh, education system is being used as a tool to indoctrinate children. Thoughts on that? So what do you mean that it's being used as a tool to indoctrinate children? Uh, clarify that for me before I respond. Um, about uh, instead of healing, there is a divisiveness going on um, mm -hmm. that white children are now more aware of the differences instead of before, it's just we're human race. And now is people are more afraid to speak up or people are being um, vil vilified for even saying something, oh, then you're racist, if that's what you're thinking. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, you know, my work is with adults, not with children. I, I, uh, I've had educators go through my program uh, and find that they never teach the same way again because it's about compassion, understanding, and having a greater depth of knowledge around this stuff. The reason that this is such a big issue is because there's so much ignorance. And there's so much ignorance because we have not been teaching this stuff in schools. We haven't. We still have children who believe that Columbus came to the continental USA. We teach that in school. He never made it here. He, he went to the Dominican Republic three times, went to Cuba and went to Puerto Rico. He did not make it to the continental USA. Mm. Another thing that we teach is, it's, is stuff like, you know, the Middle Passage happened in the U.S. Well, no, it didn't. Um, about 15 million Africans were taken off of the African continent between the early 1400s 
and the 1800s. About 6 million, approximately 6 million have been known to survive the Middle Passage. Mm -hmm. And out of that 6 million, about 400,000 were taken to the continental USA to be enslaved. The rest of the Africans were taken to places like the Caribbean, Central and South America, and you still find those families living there. So a lot of the stuff that we teach is very erroneous and, um, and it deceives people and that's why we can't heal. People can't heal on a lie. Because let's say you go to the doctor because something's wrong and something's bothering you. First thing they ask you for is your history. How much of that history do we know? Very little when it comes mm -hmm. to it, right? So, so strike one against healing, right? right. Because you, you can't be prescribed if you do get a prescription, it could be the wrong medication because you have not told the doctor what is really wrong with you, right? You, you came in here with an illusion or a lie or the best that you had, right? Which was not a good holistic history. And so therefore it's very difficult for them to give you something that's gonna heal you because they could give you some medication that's gonna harm you because they don't know your history. I love that, that holistic sense? history. I love that. Yes. Yeah. So, so there's that. The other piece um, around that is that, that when we start our healing process on a lie, what mm -hmm. happens is we're healing an illusion and not healing from the truth. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, I want you to uh, unpack that even more. Yeah. It's all about, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what happens is, so let's say um, you go to the doctor and you tell the doctor, oh, you know, um, I don't know, my, my arm hurts, right? And it's your right arm that really hurts. But you decide that because it hurts so much, you don't want him to touch it, right? And so you tell the doctor that it's your left arm. So now the doctor starts twisting your left arm around and, and, and sort of like doesn't really find anything wrong because you just lied to the doctor. And then the doctor says to you, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about your family history. Well, you tell the doctor all these stories, but you never tell the doctor that you have a family member who, who, who died from a heart condition, let's say, okay? Mm. And so, you know, so you manage to convince the doctor that, oh, ouch, yeah, this is the arm that really hurts. And the doctor prescribes for you something that could be helpful for your arm, but is bad for your heart. Mm. Okay. There's a lot of that happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, and what happens when we're looking at racism is that there, there are a few things that are happening. One of them is everybody wants to heal it with their heads. Everybody wants the numbers, the research. So they, we got plenty of that. Mm -hmm. it, it's only gotten us as far as we've gotten, but it's not taking us any further, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. so, so if we could heal and transform things by looking at all of the, the, um, the numbers, all of the statistics, all of this and that, we would have healed it a long time ago. So people want to keep it up here and they want to turn healing into an academic exercise. Neither one of those work. They don't work. If people's hearts can't be touched, the shift doesn't happen. And I can tell you this from having done this work for 35 years. Mm -hmm. I created a two-day program that touches people's hearts. 
And I don't care what color skin they have. If you cannot touch people's hearts, the change is not going to take place. That's, so, it, is, it is right there, right? It, it's our, it, it's for everyone. Yeah. If your heart is closed, there's no healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what happens is that, that we, we, we don't give, give people, as, and you don't have to know everything, but there are some things that people need to understand in order mm -hmm. to heal from this stuff. And one of those things is trauma. Mm -hmm. If we're going to heal, people need to be trauma informed. Mm -hmm. So now what do we have a bunch of parents that have been traumatized by a phrase called critical race theory. And so now right. it's like, you know, and everybody's yeah. trying to do something, you know, and, um, and it's very difficult to heal when you have people running around with their, with their heads cut, like a chicken with their head cut off, because every week is something different. Every week is something different. True. If it's not this thing, it's that thing. If now it's critical race theory. You know, before it was like, you know, what was it? Um, it what we call diversity training was initially sensitivity training. Then it became mm -hmm. diversity training because we had mm -hmm. to be more inclusive, right? Then it became diversity and inclusion because we had to be even more inclusive than that, make sure that everybody's stuff got in there. But the original sensitivity training was because in this country, people had lived in segregation for hundreds of years. And after the civil rights movement, organizations that would never have hired a person of color started hiring black folks mm -hmm. and Latinos. Mm -hmm. And as a result, when these people came together, there was a clash. And there was a clash because people had lived separately for so long. Mm -hmm. As a result of living separately, everybody spoke different languages. They still do. They still do. That is why so often you find that people of color in a conversation with a white person, the white person says something and the person of color gets offended. Mm -hmm. And the white person can't figure out why they're offended. Like I didn't say anything wrong. What did I say that was wrong? Because they literally are speaking through various filters. The, each one of them is speaking through their filters after having lived apart for so long. So everybody mm -hmm. speaks a different language, right? And so we have that. And so, you know, and, and, and then what happens is we keep adding, right? So, so sensitivity training became diversity and then diversity and inclusion. Now is diversity, equity and inclusion. Now is diversity, equity, inclusion and accessibility. We're constantly adding to this thing, but we're not solving it. We're adding solving more it. words to it does not solve it. Adding more words does not solve it, <laughs> okay? Does it feel forced? all this um, things that they're adding, is it really creating awareness and, and sensitivity or does it feel forced that it creates resistance instead? Just wondering. I think, it, I think it's a combination of both. I think it does make people more aware, um, mm -hmm. some people more aware and those who are in resistance become even more resistant, mm -hmm. you know, because it's not, you know, that that's, adding more words to it just makes it even more complex. And obviously I'm brown colored, right? Um, but is it creating uh, racism against whites now, you think? Or? Well, so, so the, the definition that, uh, the traditional definition developed for anti-racism and any kind of racism work for the word racism is privilege plus, plus power. Privilege happens at the level of um, what privilege actually is, is access and opportunity. Access and okay. opportunity. Access, okay. opportunity, immunity, and freedom. That's what 
that's what real privilege is. Somebody, uh, a white woman wrote a book called White Privilege. And again, you know, people don't look, stop to look at what, what does it mean, right? And so you have a lot of white folks that go, I don't have any privilege. I wasn't raised in privilege. I was raised poor, right? Because they don't understand that this is white skin privilege and that and also they don't understand what's available to them, which is really sad as well, because just their white skin privilege can help them, you know, advance their lives in ways that they never even dreamed of. But because they don't understand it, they can't even use it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so is it really a privilege if they're not using it? <laughs> exactly. You know, they got this privilege and they're not even using it. They're so busy fighting the word that says, you know, um, you know, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not one of those people who received money and, you know, or who, who inherited or whatever. It's like, that's not what it means. It simply means that as a white person, you can go in and write a check and people may or may not check your, your, well, nobody writes checks anymore, but, but back in the day you wrote a check and, you know, as a white person, you probably would not get, you know, they, they yeah. may not, may or may not even ask for your ID, but a black and brown person would get asked for their ID. You know, so things like that, like they, you know, but, but when, so, when a white person says, I don't have any privilege, because they don't understand the meaning of the word privilege when it comes to race and racism. That's all that, you know, like here's the thing to test is that there's so much ignorance. Again, that's why like 90% of the time that I've been doing this work has been giving people context. Yes. They have no context for them because, because we're not teaching the history in school, right? And so right. people have no context for it. And so they say things and they don't know what they're saying. It's like critical race theory. It's like privilege, you know, like things like that. These are these have become buzzwords that can be used to stay ignorant. Right. That's really what it is. They're being used to maintain the ignorance. And ignorance is what are you ignoring? Ignorance comes from the word ignore, okay? So obviously there's something available, but you're ignoring it. Yeah. And as a result of ignoring it, you don't have the information to be able to have a healthy conversation about the topic. Yeah, and that's where, where it becomes dangerous, right? Yeah. So I'm interested in how do we turn now this conversation into a miracle of the highest order? There you go. <laughs> Yeah, let's talk about healing. It's about time we heal as humanity, as a human race, as a divine human race. Yeah. yeah How do we do that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I tell people is that human beings are whole. Yes. We're whole. We're whole. All of this stuff that has happened historically, like, you know, we now know through the study of epigenetics that trauma gets passed on for many generations. And we, we, we have a lot of intellectual information. Yes. But the truth is that human beings are wired for love. Yes. We're wired for love. Oh, and, we are, <laughs> yeah, and we are holistic yes. beings. We are whole beings and we are one human family. We're all related. We're all related. I don't care what color skin people have, we're all related. And, and I don't mean that as a spiritual thing, this is science telling us we're all related, right? And so, you know, so, so you add that to the spiritual piece, which is the sacred connection that we have, we're all breathing the same air. Yes. When the sun shines, it doesn't go, oh, I'll shine on this one, but not on that one. 
You know, we have these sacred examples of who and what we came here to be. And if we just look at nature, nature guides us. Like I mm -hmm. said, the sun shines on everyone and everything when it's shining, right? Mm -hmm. When the rain falls, it doesn't go, oh, I'll fall on this leaf, but not on that one. You know, like it just, it just falls, right? And so, so we, as part of nature, are here to radiate our light out into the world, not going, oh, I'll love this one, but not that one. That is not why we came. Right. We're here to radiate. And when I, when, I, when, I'm, when I say love, I'm not talking about romantic love, but I'm talking about that greater energy that permeates all people, all places, all things, that goes deep into the soil. That is the soil that comes up and nourishes us. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that is how we're wired. And mm -hmm. this stuff that has been created, because yeah. racism is something, it, it, it was created. It's, it's not created. natural, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All of these things are like, it, it's like, let's say you have a light bulb, right? And the light bulb was turned on. But as people come in, they throw their coats on top of that light bulb. After a while, you can't see the light bulb shining anymore. All you see are all these coats that, so in my work i call it peeling back the layers yes it's about peeling back the layers so we can find our light yeah so we can find our sacred connection to one another and how we do that is not by ignoring or being in denial of but by facing the truth because if we don't face our shadow our shadow has us in its grip but the moment we decide to face our shadow we become bigger than the shadow and now we have the shadow and we can decide to transmute it if we choose to do that. That's beautiful. Now, I had a guest last week, just last week. His book is called Broken Like Me. So his name is Joseph Reed. So mm -hmm. Joseph, hi. So what do you tell people who still identify with brokenness rather than wholeness? How, how do you, and it's not about convincing, but how, what sort of thing has to happen for someone to really get a glimpse of their wholeness? How does that happen? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. So I think when we start to glimpse our wholeness, there is a feeling of, I, I can only speak from my experience, right? Mm -hmm. There's an essence of peace that 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 was one of the first experiences that I had, yeah. and and you know they talk about the peace that surpasses understanding. I was going through a very difficult time in my life. The difficulty hadn't changed, but I had, I, and so so I so that peace then became gratitude for what I was moving through, mm -hmm. in spite of the fact that it was still difficult. Right. And what I began to see within myself is that not only am I resilient, but there's something inside of me that creates that resilience. And when I say me, I'm talking about all of us. There's something inside. The reason we are resilient is because there's something inside of us that will not die as long as we're alive. Right. That is with us forever and always. And that is greater than all this craziness that we experience as we move through this corridor of life. There's something inside every human being that's greater than they can 
even imagine. And that's our wholeness. And it yes. cannot be touched. It can't, it can't be traumatized out of you. It can't be, um, you know, it can't be beaten out of you. It, can, it cannot be touched. That is what I call soul power right there. That's it. <laughs> That's it. And we yeah. have it. We all have it. We all have it. We just got disconnected from it. And, and this is what the show is all about. I'm crying out that there are so many crimes against humanity that's intended or unintended to disconnect us from that, from that wholeness that is our very essence. It's our nature. It's our true nature. And we lash out, we get angry, we blame each other, we project, we do all sorts of shit mm -hmm. because we're constantly searching for that wholeness, yeah. which is already who we are. Yeah. And all we have to do is peel back the layers, kind of like what you said, because we're all bright, shine, shining, pure light. We're pureness yeah. embodied. We just, we just need to see. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and what happens when we start to see it is we feel this incredible, well, I'm getting chills. We, get, we feel this incredible connection to yeah. other human beings. Yeah. And we start to understand that we want the best, not just for ourselves, but for everyone on the planet. Yeah. And, you know, that's what wholeness is. We see the wholeness of humanity mm -hmm. as one human body, one human essence, one human family. And we want to make sure that the cousins eat and that the, the cousins have clothes to wear and that they have decent housing and that they can get an education if they choose to do that or they can start a business if they choose to do that we also start to see our own gifts to the world mm -hmm. and we start to understand that everyone has gifts for the world yeah and that and that we don't have a right to stop people from expressing those gifts because they're gifts to us as a human family we don't have the right to stop those gifts. Oh, yes, beautiful. Yeah, we don't have room for tyranny. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. that, you know, um, I think a lot of what happens in the world is people have such a fear of love. Fear they, of love. Fear Break that down. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, but yeah, yeah, fear, they have a fear of love because if they didn't have a fear of love, they would allow it. They would allow love to shine wherever it's shining. Yeah. You know, as opposed to going, well, those people can shine, but these people don't. No, they, you can't. No, don't make sure they don't shine. Yeah. And in fact, make sure you control their shine because, you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like trying to stop the sunlight with what we say in Spanish, trying to stop the sun with one finger. Yeah. Stopping the sunlight with one finger, you know, like, um, <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, really, it's like, it's, it's such, it is not conducive to health. No. To the health no. of the planet, you know? And then what happens when, when we are not whole is that we objectify everything. Everything's an object. And so therefore it dehumanizes us and, and it makes it so that we can just use things and then throw them away, even human mm. beings, you know? Even so, human beings. Oh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. You're getting and me so, all riled up. <laughs> Yeah, Even I, I human mean, beings, yeah. yeah, our work on this planet really right now, especially is to see, acknowledge and celebrate the humanity of all beings on this planet, 
of all human beings on this planet. That's it right there, right? That's the cure for healing the divide, the, the, ra the racial divide. That's it right there. What else? Oh, I mean, there are steps. There's awareness. There's um, moving from intellectual to embodiment. There, there are so many things we can do, but right there is the key to healing the human, the, the, the racial discrimination, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So now that we've elevated it to our, our wholeness perspective, because we cannot solve the problem of race from the dogma, from the labeling, from we can't. Exactly. We have, to, we have to rise up and elevate and look at it from a whole new lens through yeah, the yeah. eyes of God, right? From yeah. miracles of the highest order. Yeah, what is it Einstein said? You cannot solve your problems with the same consciousness that created it. It created the problem. So, so now what do we do? What do we do? Yeah, well, one of the things- If you were gonna talk to us about the doctrine that changed the world, what, what exactly is that doctrine? Yeah, so, so there was a doctrine that was created by the papacy in the 1400s, and it was revised several times. Originally, it was created to give the Prince of Portugal the right to um, invade, vanquish, uh, colonize, and enslave the entire coast of Africa. And this was in the early 1400s. And so this is prior to the Middle Passage. Mm -hmm. And very quickly, um, and particularly after Columbus went back from Quisqueya, which is the original name of the island that he landed on where the Tainos were living, and um, then became La Española, because that's what he claimed for the, for, for the king and queen of Spain. And then uh, eventually became what is now the Dominican Republic. When he went back to Europe with gold, silver, food, um, you know, and Tainos to prove that he had reached India, right? Because originally that was his proposal to the king and queen. Very quickly, they revised that same, it's called the Doctrine of Discovery they revised that doctrine um, so that Spain could now go off and do whatever had been, was being done in Africa, um, you know, so they could take over these islands and these places that Columbus had been to. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the, the, the European crown was uh, related. They were all related, they still are. And so word spread very quickly that mm, there's gold in them, their islands, you know what I mean? And so then everybody started, you know, colonizing all these various places in, uh, along the equatorial band. So, um, so the doctrine of discovery applied to um, Africa, Central, South, mm -hmm. and North America, Asia, mm -hmm. Australia, mm -hmm. you name it, India, okay? And what the doctrine basically said was that any European country could go in and um, take over the land, the waterways, and any possessions that the people had and take possession of the land and enslave the people for perpetuity. So this is in the 1400s. The problem is that the doctrine of discovery was never rescinded and it is still applied today. Um, the Supreme Court used it in 2005 um, to, um, to win a case against the uh, Oneidas in New York. Um, the doctrine was used in, four, in, in 2015. It's continued to be used in Canada, Australia, 
the United States, in, in various places throughout the world, we are still under that sovereign law because it has never been rescinded. There are some native tribes that, tribes that are trying to get the Vatican to rescind that law, but the doctrine of discovery is actually international law. And we are a country of laws, right? Not necessarily mean justice, but it does. We are a country of laws, which means that at any given moment in time, a lawyer can use that and go, it's the law. And so, um, you know, that's, you know, it, it, it's interesting to me because one of the things that I did not see mentioned um, in talking about critical race theory was the, the doctrine of discovery because um, it's about taking all these laws, like I said, and breaking mm -hmm. them apart and looking at, you know, what are the ways that it, it impacts uh, black and brown people around the world and indigenous people around the world. And so the doctrine um, literally changed the world because that, you know, that, that doctrine was responsible for the Middle Passage. It was responsible for the land grab of the 1800s here in the US, 1830s. It was, it was responsible for a lot of stuff around the world, continues to be responsible for a lot of stuff around the world. The fact that, you know, we can still use that doctrine from the 1400s to win cases tells you that that doctrine is alive and well. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, it's huge. And people need to research that. And there's a lot of information. There's a wonderful book. Um, and I keep my books handy. Let me see if I, oh, here it is. Along with all my books on shelves, I keep a basket around when I'm doing research. But uh, there's a wonderful book uh, by Mark Charles and Sung Chan Ra. And it's called Unsettling Truths. Unsettling, yeah, unsettling truth. truth, the ongoing dehumanization legacy of the doctrine of discovery. And so, um, can know, you put that up? Is oh, that a book? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. And it's a wonderful book because it helps people to understand the doctrine and the various ways that it impacts um, um, indigenous people. The, the thing with the doctrine of discovery and the way that people are explaining it is because uh, is that people keep making reference to the doctrine in terms of the land, you know, how, how it's affecting indigenous people in owning their land and things like that, right? But the doctrine of discovery is not just about the land. It's about the land, the waterways, and the people, their possessions, and perpetual slavery. Perpetual slavery, yeah. That's, that's a huge line in there, perpetual mm -hmm. slavery. And so people need to understand that. And then we need to unpack that. What does that mean to us today? Because that law is still in the books and it is still affecting us today. The fact that we can win cases against you know, natives through the, the Supreme Court can win cases against natives using the doctrine of 14, you know, a doctrine from the 1400s tells you that we are still under that law. You know, this is not rocket science. <laughs> this is not that complicated. We are wow. obviously still under that law, and we're not the only country. Like I said, India, Australia, Asian countries, like, you know, all these places that were ever colonized are under the doctrine of discovery. And, you know, and again, it's, it's that if we don't educate people, if every time some piece of education or, or some, some piece of information that is important to our healing and our understanding gets blocked, what happens is we can't move forward because now people are arguing over, you know, critical race theory when they really should be looking at the doctrine of discovery. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. Like, you understand, yes, like, yes. You, you see, and, and so that's the thing. It's like people get trapped 
by using yes. buzzwords, right? That they don't mm -hmm. even understand. They've never researched. They never looked at. They've not. Well, of course, that. they're 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 playing on uh, on people's emotions. Yeah, and so as a result, that's what we really should be looking at because that affects the entire world. It affects okay. the entire wow. world. Yeah, yeah, and and it isn't like it's obscure now. There's tons of information. Somebody, um, somebody did a, a documentary on the doctrine of discovery. And so mm -hmm. there's tons of information that people can access now on that doctrine. Okay. And I think that if people begin to work together as a community, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. this can be rescinded. But as long as that exists, the whole equatorial band, not to mention pretty much the world, is under peril. I know you've written four books. Is, uh, have you discussed this in any of your books? Yeah, my latest book. Um, so I wrote a book just, I, I started to write an article and then I realized, oh, I think I have enough words to turn it into a book because I started writing it at two o'clock in the morning and it was 12 noon and I was still writing like a maniac. It was just, I didn't even realize what time it was. It seemed like two hours had passed and I was writing and I was just like, oh my God. So I wrote a book in a day. That was my first book and it's called eight, um, 11 Reasons to Become Race Literate. Wow. And that book outlines, you know, the various reasons why it's so important for us to be race literate. Mm -hmm. And then I, it dawned on me like a couple of days after I had published it, that it was like, oh, wow, you know, people are going to start having conversations when they read this book about the various little things that are in there. And I wrote this book in 2016, you know, so, um, so I was like, they're going to start having conversations and you know how conversations on race usually turn sour. Let's face it. Okay. Yes. Everybody's right and everybody's still arguing, blah, blah, blah. So I thought, let me write a book um, that helps people to have those conversations, makes it easier to have those conversations. So I wrote Eight Essentials to a Race Conversation. Eight Essentials, Eight essentials to a race. race Conversation, which conversation. is which is a manual for having those conversations. And then I, you know, one of the things that this book I just wrote because I was just kind of upset over the fact that, you know, every time you turn on the TV or, or you read some article on, on health, they were talking about how um, particularly African-Americans have higher incidence of high blood pressure, diabetes, blah, 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 blah. And nobody's talking about the fact that these are stress-related illnesses mm -hmm. and the black and brown people and particularly black people live under an incredible amount of stress with the micro and macro aggressions that they suffer on a regular basis, not to mention the intergenerational historical trauma that we right. all carry in our bones. And so there's this huge thing that, and you know, so to, to just say that these people have these illnesses without saying, oh, and by the way, these are stress-related illnesses. And by the way, these people live under higher levels of stress than the rest of the population is really doing a disservice to everybody who's listening to that and thinking, oh, they're just sicker than everybody else, which is not true. Which is so, true. Yeah. I wrote a book called Speaking Race in Healthcare. And a lot wow. of uh, healthcare providers are loving that book now. They're, they're, they're finding it on their own. They're looking for stuff because they're trying to understand uh, the disparities mm -hmm. in healthcare. And especially now with COVID, they were really looking to understand disparities. And so, um, so a lot of them are just finding, because I haven't advertised my books already. I just wrote them and it's sort of like, oh, they're on the web, you know. Um, but I think it's time for me to, to start telling people about these books. And mm -hmm. then my last book, which has um, you know, some of the history on the doctrine and things like that, is called Cracking the Healer's Code, a prescription for healing racism and finding wholeness. Oh, I love that. Mm -hmm. And that book is gonna be out uh, in August. So in August. it'll be out by the end of this, this month. Wow. 
do you have a cover already? Do you have I, a yeah, yeah. everything's been done. In fact, it's at the printers now to print the first batch of books because people bought, um, they, they, um, we did a, a, a fundraiser to be able to publish the book because I'm self-publishing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we want to make sure that everybody gets a batch of those books that are that are going to be signed the original books, and then it's going to go up on on Amazon so people, anyone will be able to have access to it on, on Amazon. Wow, can you see the title again it, it just sure cracking the healers code, a prescription for healing racism and finding wholeness. Oh my God, that, yeah. that's and they it can, right yeah, they, can, they can learn more about my work by going to milagrosphillips.com. Mm -hmm. And there are courses. I do something called the Lunch and Learn, which is, um, I was doing it last year. I did it every Monday, but I just, I'm so busy now that I, I, I've cut it back to two days, uh, two days a month. And then we also have um, every couple months, I'm doing a town hall with the people who have been to my two-day seminar. I have a two-day seminar that I've been doing for 20 years. And so I, I just started doing these town halls first to celebrate, and now we're gonna to continue to do them so that people who have been through the program can have conversations with people who are just awakening or just learning or, or are curious about what is it like to go through that healing journey and what happens. And the Cracking the Healer's Code has the, the 13 stages of healing that people go through as they move through um, and they, they start the healing process. What's the first stage? Creation. The first stage is innocence. Innocence. You know, innocence, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, when, when we lose our innocence mm -hmm. in, in whatever form, okay, mm -hmm. whether it was like, there's no Santa Claus or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like whatever form, right? We never stop to grieve our losses when it comes to losing our innocence. We really don't. And grieving is an important part of the healing process. And so, so the book has a, a section that talks about the importance of grieving um, the ways in which we have been segregated from one another. From one that, another. And yeah. how that causes grief, yeah. Yeah, and and you talked about stress earlier, and the the not properly grieving creates a lot of stress. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of stress. Yeah. yeah, and we don't. We live in a culture that doesn't really give us room to grieve. You know, no. when you lose a loved a loved one, you you are expected to go back to work in two days or three days or you three know, days. and it's like you just can't. You know, mm -hmm. your, your focus isn't quite there, depending on how close you are to the person you just lost. And so, yeah, so, so what we do is we hide our grief mm -hmm. or we bury it and then grief becomes painful, you know, yes. um, and, and it shows up in, in physical pain in our bodies, Yeah, you know, yeah. physical pain and relationships too. Yes. It shows up in our relationships. It shows up in all kinds of ways. So understanding grief is important to the healing process and, and knowing that it's perfectly okay to have sadness and to feel that sadness you know depth of that separation from other humans you know like there's there's stuff there that needs to be dealt with and yeah. so um you know so yeah yeah the book is pretty complicated I, I kept it really simple you know like yes it has 13 stages but they're all laid out individually and you know and i give examples of what it's like and you know what that feels like 
um, as you move through that process. The thing about about the healing process is, first of all, it's lifelong learning. You know, like it is what it is, right? But when you're conscious about when you're conscious and you have a clear intent that you want to be whole, that you want to be connected to humanity, that you want to be in love, like you want to live in that energy of love, what that does is it changes your actions, reactions, and interactions. And that's what we need, is for people to start changing that. As they begin to peel away the layers, they're able to do that. And so, uh -huh. yeah, so this... This work, I, you know, I, I, I love this work. I, I was called to it. This wasn't anything I ever wanted to do, you know, but I'm glad I finally said yes, you know? Yeah. How, well, how long ago did you say yes? Uh, 35 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have that many decades yet, but yeah. <laughs> I, I was telling them in decades on the planet, so I get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was like, oh, when the kids are 18, okay? When the kids are 18, God, I, I can. Right now, you know, I'm it for them. Yeah. But yeah. I get it. I get it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Final words, uh, Milagros. Yeah, so my hope is that people will, will begin to awaken and make conscious decision that they want to be whole and they want to be part of the human family so that we can all be connected in ways that are empowering and inspiring. Beautiful. Oh, my God. <gasps> Yay! That part where we talked about wholeness, I can talk to you forever about that. But we have to bring it back, right? <laughs> we have to bring it back. <laughs> bring it back and create that awareness that really it is up to us. Yes. It's up to us to heal first within ourselves. And from that healed place, then there's, there's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> really yeah, that, yeah because then we feel empowered and yeah. we're not so wounded that every time someone mentions a word we we you know we we react or we try to avenge or revenge yeah. or hate yeah um, you know let's let's uh transcend that let's absolutely get over <laughs> that and really claim really claim the highest order love of the highest order and that's who we really are and thank you milagros for for saying those yummy words <laughs> um, because that is what soul power to the people podcast is all about how do we return the soul power to the people i hope you enjoyed this episode of soul power to the people podcast with tess Vergara. We can no longer be the spectators of our own destruction. Take back your mind, take back your voice, take back your soul, take back your power. Join me again next time for the next episode of Soul Power to the People.